So if things don't go well, you just know you're the customer. <laughs> no, 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 that shouldn't be the case. <laughs> yeah, so you have all It's that actually time. a blessing. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And maybe actually this is the best time to thank Mamlindi. Uh, Hillary has been giving us a uh, free way to use the elevator for recording most of our, uh, for recording most of our podcasts. Uh, yeah, we just started by that to thank him for the elevator because conflict of interest. We didn't want people to think he's paying that. Rather, there's any kind of advertisement going on. So since we, we are moving, uh, I think maybe we should holler at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hillary has been a very good mentor of streets. I've not met him physically, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you can tell yeah, yeah, no, from everything that he does, he's a good man. So From all his uh, vying for political office. I don't that, think that, so. That could, uh, you know, people start like that. Segirinya started like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually saw a tweet where he has made it very clear. He's not into politics. People change their mind. They will come back competing with Bobby Wine and tell us, you know what, I saw things and I changed my mind. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. That's just started. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're in finance, basically. Yeah, I'm in finance. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, first of all, I did become at uni. Mm-hmm. I did uh, become from Macquarie University. Uh, with a major in accounting and finance. So apparently I am uh, working for an organization called TEF, Test Education Fund. Mm-hmm. It's uh, helping uh, young people in the core 16 districts of TESO to access formal education. That is from uh, secondary, senior five, six, then uh, vocational training, then the university. We offer scholarships fully paid, mm-hmm. plus of course a stipend. Yeah. And uh, these scholarships are sort of based on your tribe? Yeah, basically based on tribe, because uh, we're trying to uplift people back home, and that is the whole objective. Right, so why not Uganda? I think Uganda would want to qualify for these things. Why did you guys go to Uganda? Actually, uh, maybe from a broader perspective, uh, we are looking at a way how we can be able to leverage the connections around uh, the people in Teso, so that we can be able to help to tap the potential so that these young people can be able to realize that education is the only way out. Because in this part of the world, Uganda, we do not have the intellectual capacity to make it in anything big. Take, we have failed. Also, first, what do you mean we don't have the intellectual capacity? Uh, by intellectual capacity, I mean, we, we can be very bright, mm-hmm. but we do not have the capacity to take on our innovations to the next step. Everything, the structures here, do not support that. Yeah, that would be a little bit more specific. What exactly say is talking? What 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 would be one of the innovations you want to take on, and what would be that specific thing that we're talking? Personally, I'm I'm looking at the education space. We mm-hmm, mm-hmm. want to see how we can have a system that can be able to make people have an education at a standard that is required, but without having so much hassle. And that innovation is very hard to take it on from here. Uh, you give me an example of where something like that is working. I know. For uh, we've looked at Harvard. Harvard has a system 
That is just a benchmark, just a system. I know of someone that has done their degree here and they've never been to the US. That is the whole essence. And they're doing they have a degree from here? From here. Okay. They don't have to go to the US. Okay. And uh, here you're making the assumption that Harvard education is a terrible education. Every, every education is good education. Okay. But what I'm trying to give you is uh, the element of technology. We need to leverage technology oh, on a big standard. Yes. You've seen Macquarie University here, mm -hmm. what the, the second biggest in Africa. Students are home. Yeah, we can't be able to research. take on any technology. And that is going to create a very big gap, which we are already seeing. The young generation is home two yeah. years now down the road. You can't tell my career can't be able to, to come up with an innovation. Yeah, so uh, as a person who has been to more doing software engineering at the age where innovation was still a buzzword, uh, I was at MOOC, I think when I joined MOOC, Steve Jobs was still alive. So yeah, people were, you know, every word innovation. Yeah, you still make every word, you know, every sentence you make and end with innovation, you sounded smarter. Uh, so people kept using the word over and over. But the thing I know about the problems, especially we have like in Uganda, like things you're raising about education and, uh, you know, other similar problems. The solutions are not innovative. They don't have to be innovative in any way. Most of these problems can be solved by just copying stuff China is doing, by just uh, copying stuff uh, Finland is doing, for example, you know, and just you know pasting some of them, and maybe sending a bunch of our uh, experts to train within these systems, yeah. And the, the the thing that is blocking, right? Personally, I think it's intentional. I think it's part of uh, the political master plan to sort of uh, keep the population, you know, in this state, especially intellectually. Because otherwise, an intellectually, the Netherlands, a state that is intellectually capable is, is hard to rule, and you know, we still have our case with the politics. Yeah? So that's what I think. When people come up with um, things like innovation, for example, like things they term as innovations, for example, as solutions, say, for example, in the education sector, right? If what you're saying is you are going to uh, buy computers and put in a room and let students come and study Harvard courses from there. There is nothing innovative about that, right? It's just sort of like, do you have to see the resources and the capacity to scale this, right? And I'm, I'm wondering whether this is why you want to take the conversation or you want to talk about innovation in its own. Actually, you've, you've put it right, because uh, one of our strategic plan is to set up a very big center in, in, in the East, where we have uh, every computer, the internet, so that these young people can be able to use this resource center to make sure that they learn and take their skills to a very big level. So yeah, uh, so you're saying in, in TESO what you're trying to do is provide basically access to computer. Computer, computer yeah, internet, because really those people don't know how to use the internet. We are going to make sure that we have these resources at hand mm -hmm. so that we have the right experts to make sure that uh, these young people get this knowledge based on the internet and the computers so that they can leverage yeah. their skills going forward. Basically, basically. Uh, do you know why the connection, say in uh, Morocco, internet connection or even a DSM connection is not as good as the connection in Kampala? I don't think I have uh, the perfect answer to okay. that. So, so yeah, the, the reason is MPN makes more money investing resources in Kampala than it does in, in Morocco, right? And that's because the population itself 
uh, this small dot in Uganda that Kampala alone has more than two million people. I think way more than two million people who frequent the place, you know, in a day, right? Uh, so MTN would invest at a mass, say Kampala's mass, the, the land mass, you know, the, the square mileage. MTN is willing to raise more mass, right, per square mile rather than in like way way more mass rather than Morocco because in Morocco even if they raise it even if they invested in that equivalent amount of infrastructure they will not make that money back to raise other it's not a good investment right that's true yeah that's and true. part of this is the same problem with you know Tesla, right and yeah. when people talk about internet and I'm not trying to discourage you I'm just sort of uh, like telling you I see things going when people keep saying you know internet say is the alternative to education now you know because of COVID people can't sit in class and people talk about internet as the alternative. For me, it doesn't make a lot of sense because we do not have the infrastructure and that infrastructure is expensive. Uh, recently, I don't know which minister, but again, one of those guys who's looking to eat someone's money, was proposing that we put, uh, the government should spend, I think, about six billion putting internet within national parks. Uh, I don't know the reason, <laughs> you know, like, again, most of the tweets I read were about jokes. Uh, people were saying maybe the lions need to track the antelopes so they don't have to run too much. Again, most of it was just making jokes. But the reason that is not there, again, the government doesn't invest in internet infrastructure. We have UTL, but, you know, it has been going downhill since I remember that one. Uh, companies that come and invest in this infrastructure come from a capitalist perspective, you know. This is me putting money today, so in the future, I get more money out, basically, right? I think, Mark, I mean, uh, Kenneth, maybe just to, to, to bring you up to speed, yeah. TEF is an organization with structures. Basically. structures. Uh, it was actually basically formed in the UK by good-willing people staying in the UK, the ITESO. Uh, so we are trying to bring it down here to Uganda. Mm -hmm. TEF UK, and then the, we also have uh, the people called the Atekel in uh, Kenya. So we are trying to bring all those groups together. Internet is just a smaller part of the bigger problem. Yeah, yeah. You get. Yeah. So what we are trying to say, let these people. We are trying to make sure that uh, we we use whatsoever networks we have to make sure that this dream becomes a reality in Tesla. Okay. Yes, and there's a lot how, of how, education how disparity. About this, sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, my question is, how else are you looking about? How else are you looking to approach this other than the internet? And you can first finish. Yeah, as I said, there's a big disparity in education sector. That's why you see schools in uh, Central are way too high mm -hmm. in, in performance compared to the ones in Sorority, in Teso as a region. Know why? Because better infrastructure in Kampala, as you've said. So we as TEF, we are trying to make sure that we are talking to donors. We are talking, we are talking to telcos, the big telcos, to see how can we make this a reality? How can you invest in education in Teso? But it becomes a very tough, tough quest because all these telcos are looking at the end product. Are you, are you bringing in the money to us? Mm -hmm. So that is, that is the essence. That is the difficult conversation we're trying to tackle. Okay. And have you guys figured out a good way around? Conversations are going on with different stakeholders. Yes, and uh, at the end of the day, I'm very optimistic will have something to work with. I see. And uh, what is the... Uh, because I'm, I'm also trying to understand, and, and I've worked with... Uh, I've worked with, say, UNICEF. You know, I've, worked in, I've worked with an NGO as well, but I've worked with uh, sort of UNICEF, and I've gone out a little bit to see how like, they implemented partners. 
uh, kind of uh, lobby for their communities and stuff like that. But uh, I'm just very curious to, because from what I know again, you know, most of these conversations go down to where is the money coming from, right? Uh, the biggest donors in the world, you know, if you look at the, the, the columns of philanthropists, yeah, you know, that's sort of I think the rank beyond donor. The big, those, those biggest people, when you look at them, most of them again are using their organizations for power. You know, if you look at, for example, uh, what Bill Gates was doing, right, with uh, Bill Gates and his clique of eight people, uh, trying to give away a lot of their money, everyone thought. You know, these guys have good hearts and now they're feeling guilty about all the money that they've taken and they want to give it back. But, you know, what the pandemic at least has exposed is what they get in return is this huge amount of power to call big shots, right? Uh, for example, I think uh, Bill Gates was one of the people who was lobbying for, who was stopping uh, universities from open sourcing the vaccine. Uh, and, you know, he had that, that, that kind of power. And I, I think, you know, his reasons, again, you can, depending on how you, your, your sort of philosophy on life is, you can say he's right or you can say he's wrong. But the fact that he had that kind of power to actually stop, you know, there's no open source vaccine today, even in the middle of the pandemic, right? And, and this is because people like them have that kind of power. And that is what they've been buying. What, what we thought was donating out of uh, sort of the heart was them buying power, you know, the, the sort of purchasing power with that, with that cash, right? Yeah. And what, what happens with what you're saying in Tesla is, you know, you have to position the community in that kind of scope. You know, you have to be very wary of uh, how the rest of the world runs, yeah? And you have to position the community in that kind of scope where, say, if, if a donor is coming, you know, what are they getting in return? You know, it can't be smiles of people. And, and this I know for sure. I, I know, for example, in UNICEF, uh, they invested a lot of money in so-called stories, you know, collecting those testimonies because that is where the money came from. You know, if we went to a community and the guy told us, oh, you know, we didn't have a borehole, now we have a borehole, and we took very fancy pay and they would hire these American photographers, you know, 10,000 guys a week to come and take a picture of the guy who doesn't have land for tomorrow because they they built for him a hole, right? And this was important. That investment was important because these are the pictures that the guys who fund UNICEF look at to see if UNICEF is a worthy investment for them, right? And again, you know, everyone has their own natural interests, right? So I'm trying to understand from like the Tesla perspective, right? Apart from again a goodwill, yeah, and it has you know some sectarian effect, you know, why why yeah, targeting yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, a specific tribe? Apart from all that. What is the value add for someone who's like, first of all, to donate or to invest directly? You know, if you want an MTN, for example, to come and uh, put mass and all that, you know, what is the value add for them? First of all, uh, Kenneth, uh, the truth of the matter is in life, every relationship is a transaction. Yeah. Give me, I take, what do I have to get back? Okay. And I totally agree with that fact. And uh, that is what has shaped relationships world over. Uh, for the case of Teso, we have a model that we're working with apparently uh, where the goodwill from ITESO particularly first are making a donation towards the organization. And we have decided to come up with that model because we need to own it. This is a community thing. It's not for personal interest. We need to own that organization based on its ideals. Say for example, uh, 
every district, the 16 districts of Teso, maybe you are taking out five people for, per district on a scholarship. What is what, what benefit do we get from there? Like now if we bring uh, MTN on board, we're going to tell MTN, this is just a benchmark, MTN, please come and set up infrastructure, ICT infrastructure in Teso. Mm. What do you get in return? Wider coverage, wider base, a condition. Because fundraising are conditional clauses embedded inside the fundraising paper that we do not talk about. Yeah. Most investors, most uh, philanthropists, there is a fundraising clause that, yes, Kenneth, I'm investing in with conversations with the good people. But 10% of your sales on YouTube can come back to me. Yes, and that is something I may not be able to do because uh, it's not uh, ethical for the organization. How we get the money should not uh, actually be into the public eye. So it's a transparent organization. Yes. I said, okay, so yeah, no, 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 that's true, that's true, and I think you don't, I also don't want you to step deeper than yeah, 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 but, but here's a, here's the thing also, like maybe some of the things you can talk about, you know, in terms of impact so far, how long has this organization existed? This organization has actually been uh, in existence uh, for one year, just, and oh, we've, I see, I see. we've made yeah. a tremendous effect. Yeah. Due to COVID-19, a lot of things have actually put, been put on hold, but so far we've made a tremendous effort to make sure that the nine students are sponsored and uh, those students are all from TESO and this is a TESO organization exclusively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the impact yeah. that we so, made. So that's the other question also is, uh, what happens to non-TESO people living in the TESO area? Actually, uh, the model that has been uh, gotten is basically on uh, ideals of ethnicity, age, and where did you attend your education from? Mm -hmm. You get, yeah. if you're from Teso and a certain age, can you be able to take on this opportunity? What we do is uh, we put up uh, notices on our district notice boards through the cows and tell them that please advertise the scholarships. We want five people from your district to come and compete for the scholarships. Yes. I see, I see. Okay, so, uh, the other thing is the complexity of, of the region generally, right? So part of Tesos live in Uganda, some of them don't, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing also is if you look at say Tororo, right? Tororo has uh, Tesos and the Japan dollars, and the Japan dollars, yeah. right? Uh, but yeah, so but these people because now then this uh, sort of uh, they're within these geographical demarcations, these political regions called the political region called Uganda. They end up going to some school. Say, for example, TC, right? If these guys are going to TC, uh, and then you say, you know, we are going to sponsor. Say, we're not going to look for the best. You know, it's not a merit best institution. We're not looking for the best student in TC to, to uh, earn a scholarship, but we are looking for the best TESO student in TC. You know, this student will be the thirtieth out of hundred in class, right? Uh, you know, how does that? How how do you anticipate this sort of? Uh, how we get the people to take up the scholarships? No, no, no. How, in terms of, uh, in terms of the, you know, because it's discriminating, right? If you're if you're cherry picking for ETSOX, in a, say in a region that has ETSOX, uh, is it is it the right word to use ETSOX? By the way, people use it. I like yes, it. yes, the so, ETSOX yeah. people. So if you're cherry picking ETSOX from, say Toronto, a place that has gaps, I'm not gaps in the right word to use. Yeah. Yeah. My birthday is like Japan dollars, I call them gaps, but 
It's it's uh, it's yeah, actually an accident. If, if a place has Gapadolas and does this exercise, and they go to the same school, you know, uh, well, this is Teso College or Toro College? Toro College. Toro College, right? And they go to Toro College, and uh, I know they do Taekwondo in Toro College. <laughs> so they go to Toro College, right? The best guy is in Gapadola, right? The 30th guy is the Teso guy, right? But the best guy doesn't have access to scholarship to do his, say, A level, right? After yeah. Form 4. Yeah. Even if he's the best on merit, right? But the thirtieth guy has access to, to to the scholarship to the scholarship just because of a certain tribe, you know. Yeah. Don't you think that again that this is sort of bringing back those uh, secretariat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, once this thing when we formed the thing, we looked at the bigger picture, yeah. and we took all into consideration whatever you're raising here, Kenneth. But uh, maybe let me just take you through the process. Um, once the people that are actually taken for the scholarship are pure ITESOTs. Once you're an ITESOT and you studied in ITESOT, you can be an ITESOT studying in Kampala mm-hmm. and you're in need of a scholarship, but you will not qualify for it because you did not study what? At home. It's not about discrimination. It's trying to uplift the standards of living of these children back at home because we believe that uh, most of uh, them actually generalized as uh, maybe inadequate, but we want to bring a, a sense of feeling to them by offering these scholarships. Your question, TC, a person in TC can have, uh, a job can be number one, and uh, TESOT can be number 30, but the job who is number one and is in need of a scholarship cannot take. That's where you're taken back to the constitution of the organization. Okay, all this is surrounded about TESO, but it's nothing to be with discrimination. I, mean, I know what it does describe is the definition of discrimination. Actually, we have Buganda scholarships that are taking place in Uganda. I'm not, yeah, I mean, Uganda, but I'm not saying it's a good thing. That's what I'm saying is, again. It's, it's not, okay, uh, look at this from this perspective, Kenya. Yes, yeah. We are two gentlemen. Yes. We have come up with an idea. Yes. And, uh, we are trying to be very inclusive, yes. but we cannot take the idea throughout the country. That is the fact. You're a founder. Mm-hmm. I know you have a business. You know you own a part of a business. Yeah. And what you have to do is uh, narrow down your interests to a niche. And that is what Tef has done. I see. Yeah. No, no, so first of all, uh, I'm, I'm I've had those, I've had actually people say, don't you think this is discriminatory? But it's not. So, so here's why, again, I insist, right? Um, the same thing, okay, let's use Buganda again. I don't want to put you in. Uh, yeah, let's not, yeah, let's not talk about regions. But uh, yeah. I think the whole point is, what is the impact? Okay. What is the impact of this whole organization? As I've told you from the grassroots, we are trying to make sure that these young people take on bigger responsibilities. And actually, once we sponsor students, we have to make sure that they subscribe to the organization. They pay it forward in the future. Yes, that is the model. We are trying to to get resources from within TESO. It's nothing to do with the tribe or anything, but these are just TESO that have stepped up and mean well for the region. That is the whole point. 
I see. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, we're going to move on from this. But so here's the thing, right? I don't think your ethnicity, right? Yeah. Uh, is in any way a good uh, attribute to be selected for anything. Yeah. Apart okay. from in places in South Africa, right, where you know a specific ethnicity was intentionally subjugated. Mm. Uh, but or say the US, for example, yeah. Uh, but in a country like Uganda, where you know, on average, right? Maybe say take the Baganda out, right? Because Baganda, I think, we made the deal with a white man. But in a country like Uganda, right, where on average, uh, the gap has had the same opportunities as the teachers, right? If you try to establish an institution, yeah, that is going to cherry pick people according to these random ethnicities, because again, where we are right now, right? We do not subscribe to the I'm a Muganda because my father is a Muganda. This is yeah, not yeah. anything I sort of it's it's just that I don't have any say in this, right? Apart from when I can change my name and pretend that I'm not. But uh these are stories that are deeper than sort of me myself, right? Uh if you try to create organizations that sort of provide these specific awards based on you know, those ethnicities, right? And, and again, there's a, there's a very similar conversation around the, the, the land thing that's going on. Yeah, right? yeah, there's yeah. a very similar conversation. Uh, and what makes this different? What makes this conversation specifically different is your organization is intentionally being sectarian, right? By sort of uh, cherry-picking intersections. Yeah? From a region that has multiple people, you know, that, uh, that border has... Uh, I think as Baguere, it has, I don't know if they are actually there, but it has a, a significant amount of ethnicities there, right? And if you say your qualification is supposed to be this trade, then a lot of people who would have, you know, could have qualified do not end up not qualifying because of an attribute that they have, that they have no say of, you know. And for me, I feel like that's unfair, but again. Kenneth, yeah. in our strategic plan, in our five year strategic plan, uh, we have uh, something embedded inside it that. For the start, we are working with that. We then we move to Iteso in other districts, staying in other districts. Because for now, you must be an Iteso studying in a Teso school, and you to be admitted, you'll be admitted in a Teso school. You get, but it's in phases. As I told you, this is a young organization, okay. and uh, there's a lot of stuff that is going to happen going forward. But for now, this is what we are working with. It's not about discrimination or secretarial policies. I see. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about finance a little bit, right? Yeah. And I just want to understand like what uh, version of finance you follow. Are you like in accounting? Are you... Yeah, I mean I did a major in accounting. In accounting. Yes. Okay. Uh, and you have uh, are you certified? I am in the process of getting certified. I'm doing my SEC. Okay. I'm in level two. I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, and so for an organization like this, you know, what does this mean? Uh, I know people say Ugandan politicians are corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But. The cream, the cream of corrupt people. The Olympics. What's the name of that European guy? The, <laughs> the guy that won. Yeah, the guy that won. You know, you're gonna or uh, something. Kisa. You yeah. Know, the, the politicians. They set the pace. Yeah. But the real corrupt people, the chapter, uh, the, the guy that <laughs> the Olympics of, 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 of corruption. Yeah. yeah. The people working in NGOs. Yeah. Those guys are corrupt. That is corrupt, true. corrupt, corrupt at the core. Yeah. And where this corruption starts from is accounting. So most of NGOs that raise money from uh, big donors 
um, because the donors don't have the the ability to come and monitor in in in, in real life what 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 kind of work is going on, uh, they rely on say books of account, right, and other forms of documentation, and uh, you know again testimonials and say schools, uh, you know say for example your what you guys are doing is sending people to school, right? Uh, what is I know I'm not going to, but I have a friend who used to work in an NGO that did something like that. It was, uh, I don't know if it was an NGO, it was a church thing. It was, uh, yeah. I think it was an NGO, yeah, but it was uh, uh, funded by the evangelicals, evangelicals, and they would send kids to, church, to, to school. Yeah, but when these uh, American preachers were coming, this guy would mobilize a bunch of kids a week before, train them about how to claim that they're getting a scholarship. Uh, pay them this and that and maybe talk to their parents and give them food for a week and these guys would come and actually think they're donating and this is just uh, like very small anecdote but this yeah. uh, the corruption in NGOs is obscene yeah it's top-notch corruption but uh, most of the NGOs now are largely funded by donors actually have a donor representative working in the country to fast track progress mm -hmm. and how funds are being used such that, uh, but so, and also there are some uh, rules that the donor can give to the NGO. Mm. Without these rules, without you complying to the rules, you cannot be able to get any more finance from the donor. And that is what is happening. And that is actually trying to, to reduce corruption. And systems with the NGOs, I don't know about other NGOs, but top, top NGOs have working systems. So again, uh, I know systems. Yes. Right? I know systems. Uh, let me tell you. The person I think is the most corrupt in this country. Uh, okay, I don't know my friend, but I'm podcast. I think what you're trying to, yeah. I, there is, uh, NGOs have cartels within the organization. Exactly. So so that's the thing is, that guy you're saying, the, yeah. the guy who is the representative, yeah. that guy is corruptible, right? Yeah, that but is again, true. We are humans. Yeah, yeah. The structure of NGOs is uh, you, you raise money from other donors, yeah. Those yeah. donors are not giving you money out of their pocket. They're not giving you their salary. Those donors are raising money from other bigger organizations, yes, yes. and most of those organizations are raising money from other bigger organizations, which maybe get money from, uh, say, government, say, you know, things like USA, or they raise money individually from people, you know, uh, send a check about, you know, those, those, yeah, yeah, those, yeah. those small things, right? But then it sort of trickles down to you, right? And at all those stages, because even these guys at the top, everyone is stealing something. Everyone is stealing something, or maybe even laundering money. You know? yeah. Some of those NGOs, maybe the, the ones that are actually laundering money probably are not stealing any money because they are trying to clean their money, right? But going down, going down the road, everyone is trying to, to you know, uh, claim to be doing good, but while you know doing some bank at the same time, sure, putting, sure, putting sure. some money in the, in the account, right? And and I just want to understand, you know, what are those systems? You are trying to describe, you know, what kind of systems? And and I just Hope you know you can use uh, Lehman's terms. Yeah, I'll I'll try to be very specific so that yeah. everyone can be able to understand. Actually, uh, I'll give a typical example of uh, where I work. We get the money. We have an approval level. Mm -hmm. Like someone in finance cannot be a signatory to the the check. What All we do check? is the check that's received. Yes, we any money bank mm -hmm. in case you want to cash in or cash out anybody in finance does not have that authority yes we have a line of authority yeah. we requisition funds and there's an assigning authority that is the whole process going forward actually um 
most organizations, most NGOs are trying to tackle the vice of corruption. You've seen government coming into the affairs of NGOs lately. The NGO board has been suspended. I, I don't know if it has come back to, to work, but uh, most of these NGOs actually launder money. Yeah, and that is a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the fact. That's why uh, there's a little bit of government interference at the moment. They want you to declare your sources of income. Where is this money coming from? Yeah. Can you show us your audited books of accounts? Yeah. Does it equate to the amount of money that is being disbursed? Yeah. If, if there is no such money, where is the other balance? That's where we get entangled. But the vice of corruption is a very big one. For the case of Uganda, we, we still have a very long way to go yeah. in so, fighting that vice. I see, I see. So for me personally, um, uh, I'm not, I'm, I have no problem with a thief laundering money by building a school. Right? I think that is the best way to steal money. Okay. Right? Uh, what, what I have a problem with is fundraising, stealing money that has been fundraised. Is it fundraising or fundraising? You know, stealing money that has been collected from a former fundraising. Where, for example, uh, Uganda recently, a few years back, was doing the top holding thing, right? If at some point I, I, I sort of anticipated, or I thought that, you know, somewhere within those accounts, someone was stealing something to build something. You've heard of creative accounting? Yeah, creative accounting and all that. But what I'm saying is, you know, what are those systems that are NGOs are putting together to be more transparent because we know uh for example again accounting is uh accounting hasn't changed a lot you know there's no innovation i did accounting before i remember uh the two double entry bookkeeping and i don't think much has changed since then yeah yeah so so my, my, my what i think is people now are experts who are like you you know you do it from school you go to university you do it uh, you're now doing uh, a certification course doing the same thing you know you definitely have single calls which you can play with. And again, I've read a lot about, uh, you know, people who call in auditors to specifically show them where they're going to catch them. Not to audit them. Okay, I mean, to audit them but technically, but tell them, so this is catchable, this is catchable, this is catchable, uh, clean here, clean here, clean here, right? Uh, so in NGOs, I don't think accounting specifically is the right way to sort of run away from corruption, but, you know, a general system. Okay, um... Fast forward, most NGOs right now, uh, they appoint their own auditing firms. Mm -hmm. If a donor is giving you maybe $1 million, yeah. what they do, they appoint their oh, audit firm and they take on the audit. Mm -hmm. People with uh, no interest in the firm. Yeah. But again, as you said, everyone is corruptible. So it's actually working with something that is very comfortable for the donor. That is the most, that is the only way out. Because apparently uh, I know of NGOs that are still struggling with uh, licenses that have been revoked due to these claims, laundering, corruption, all that stuff. But the system, for me personally, as a finance person, I think the most important thing is coming up with internal controls at the onset. An internal control, you can say like, you, Kenneth, you're the finance director. You do not have any authority to go to the bank or to go to anywhere where cash is involved. All you have to do is uh, monitor what is being disbursed and monitor what is being brought in. You get. And the second one, uh, an, in, an internal audit system, an internal auditor function should be brought into NGO. Most of the NGOs don't have internal audits. All they do is wait for the year to end. They call an accounting firm. Please make the audits. But with an internal audit system in place, mm -hmm. 
we can be able to mitigate the risk that comes with losing a lot of money. Because at the end of the day, you're supposed to report the internal audit system. These guys give uh, quarterly reports, monthly reports that can help management going forward. Management reports such that NGOs, I mean, uh, donors are able to come into play. They actually come into play in a way that uh, once the audit reports are being given quarterly from, in, from the internal function, they can know that this is the amount of money that is going into this activity. Say, for example, you have operations in uh, 10 districts of Uganda. Mm. Weekly, weekly audits can help you as an investor into the organization to know that this is the amount of money left and this is what. And actually, uh, what organizations are not getting it right is uh, fast-tracking progress. Mm. Fast-tracking progress is a very big problem. I'm talking this from a point of uh, experience because I've been in the system and I know exactly what is happening. Yeah. Once we don't fast-track progress, you find that everything comes into play. Corruption, um, cartels come into the organization because they know no one is watching. Yeah. But when there are extra eyes in the organization, we can always manage. We cannot do away with it completely but we can always try to minimize the risk. Okay, yeah. So yeah, maybe the question then would be uh, the experts, right? Uh, for example, if uh, if you have a million dollars to give out, right? But it's going to cost you $600,000 to donate, to sort of make that million dollars impactful, right? Mm. Uh, because again, you need uh, to hire uh, extra uh, systems that uh, come yeah, into exactly, extra systems to, to make things work, you, you know? Uh, aren't you spending a significant amount of money, you know, uh, you know, aren't you wasting a lot of money that people are willing to, people thought, you know, people who donate this money mm. to the end think they're doing something for the poor person, right? But what, who ends up eating, say, 60% of that money is an accountant, a qualified accountant would actually have got a, a job in MTN, you know, auditing MTN books, right? Uh, do you don't you think that there is some sort of inefficiency with this whole NGO system? No, 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 no. That's that's the problem. Uh, NGOs work with budgets. Yeah, budgets, and these budgets are usually annually. And uh, before money is released, they look at, they scrutinize the budget. They see any budgetary lags, and they see if there is anything that should be included in the budget. Yeah. Miscellaneous expenses like audit. I actually given a cap in the budget mm -hmm. such while once budgets are presented to the donor scrutiny is taken into seriously such that at the end of the day we can see what are the main operational expenses that need to be prioritized yeah. so that before money is released we have a, a working uh, position we have a neutral position that we can be able to take on yeah, yeah. no so I, I, I i'm not doubting that this plan i'm saying is this plan inefficiency there's no Actually, so here's the example, right? Hmm. Um, and this is not an interview, but it's, it's almost going to be very similar. The Ministry of Health recently yeah. purchased uh, trucks, double uh, cabin trucks, right? Uh, for a significant amount of money, yeah? But they hadn't anticipated that part of that donation, you know, whatever amount they had donated, at least nine billion, was supposed to be for taxes. For taxes, exactly, yeah? And this is an expense, okay? Okay, taxing maybe is not an expense per se, right? But uh, again, uh, a significant amount of that money still that purchased those cars was spent on clearing agents. A significant amount of that money was spent on uh, transporting those cars, uh, 
you know, a significant amount of that money was spent on planning, you know, the committees that actually sit down and plan for that money, they get paid off that same money, right? Uh, this is sort of, uh, maybe the ministry actually has, no, but it doesn't. The ministry has people they pay a salary, yeah? But when they have to sit a committee to do something, to do up something, they say, for example, in this case, if it wasn't part of the national budget, they are going to get off that money that has been donated to sit the committee, give those committee people allowances, give them tablets, give them 200 million cars, you know, so they can sit and plan for, say, 10 billion, right? Uh, and what I'm saying is, if these expenses, you know, how do we plan to spend 10 billion, cost 5 billion, you know, isn't it inefficient to have, you know, the NGO structure basically and sort of non-profit organization structure, isn't it inefficient to have all these organizations spend a lot more money uh, paying professionals who are not actual beneficiaries of, uh, you know, their, the reasons why they are collecting this money more than they're actually spending on. Okay, uh, I get I, I get the point where you're coming from. Maybe let me just highlight uh, something yes. that you may that may, you may pick interest in. Actually, uh, the reason I brought up budgets is an internal control that that uh, checks spending expenditure. So, for the cases of NGOs, once the budget is being allocated and has been approved, you cannot work outside that budget, and that is a fact of being in UNICEF. If you requisition for uh, uh, maybe money, maybe you say I need one million shillings yeah. to accommodation, stuff like that. But if it is outside the budget, you can, it is usually pushed, pushed to the next uh, yeah. financial yeah. So year. I, I, I so that. that is the whole essence. Like now for the case of the ministry, because uh, I don't know, those guys are actually technocrats, but everyone is uh, looking at what are they taking home. I get that. Uh, yeah. So let me just maybe clarify, and we yeah. still are going to move on from this. Uh, so to clarify, right? You have uh, ten million. You've collected ten yes. million from China. Yes. You build a borehole in uh, okay in uh, Chiboga, right? Uh, the borehole costs you. Talk to the guys who are going to dig. The guys who are going to survey the land. Basically, all expenses are engineering expenses around building this borehole cost five million, right? Yeah. But uh, what you have to, but you have, you need to collect uh, 10 million because the other five million are going to pay for the collecting officer, the guy who's walking around China looking for the money. Yeah, that job is, is important, right? The other 10 million are going to pay for the accounting officer, yeah. the guy who's going to look at how the money is being spent, right? These are all NGO employees. Yeah. The other amount is going to pay for your supervisor. The guy who makes sure that this guy doesn't mess up. Say you, you have multiple power projects. Yeah. It's say accounting officer. Say three, ten accounting officers have one supervisor. Some of that money will pay the supervisor. All this is in the budget, right? Yeah. We know that this is our budget. Uh, five million will actually build a power hole. Uh, the other five million is going to pay salaries of our NGO employees, right? And, and my question is, don't you think this is inefficient because a significant amount of the money raised is taken into experts. Yes, exactly. Actually, Kenneth, a cost-benefit analysis is always done mm -hmm. to ascertain what costs go to project A. Said so that before allocation of funds in a budget is done, they will have done a, a cost-budget analysis on maybe project A, like we, as you said, boreholes A. 
need like maybe manpower, 10 people, taking 1 million each, 10 million. How much money are we allocating in what? Getting the boreholes. Yes, we do a cost-benefit analysis so that every information, every figure that is reflected in the budget is catered for. Yes, it is. Yeah, the variables are taken into. Is a lot of money, a lot of that budget is spent in administration. Uh, administration. Yeah, in terms of trying to manage how this man actually gets to the end user, the beneficiary. And again, I, I'm saying this actually, because I've seen... Most of the money, as you, you've highlighted, most of the money is actually going into administration. Yes. That is true. Do that is very... That is inefficient. It is. It is. But again, um, for, the, for the projects, most of this money, actually being a donor money, the donors are actually aware of these operations that in order for us to, to work with this operations. Actually, uh, operation expenses are the most highest in an organization. Yeah, I agree. It is not inefficient because this is, this, is, this is a standard. If you want something to work, yeah. so, especially for the, it's not a private entity. So, so yes. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. Uh, and, and again, I, I, want to, I, I want to show you why I think yeah. this is a problem. And we are going to brainstorm a solution because okay. that solution was a perfect entity, but we will talk about that last. So here is the thing, right? In, in MTN, and I don't know why I'm calling MTN error, but in, in a private organization, right? We know how much we are going to pay the secretary, yeah. how much we are going to pay the accountant, how much we are going to pay the surveyor, how much we are going to pay the supervisors, how much we are going to pay the general manager, all that, right? And when we are setting the price of the product, you know, if we are going to say, for example, Bico, yeah, mm-hmm. part of the, the other work we do is we rent out our equipment, right? And now we're going to start renting out part of our studio as well, right? Uh, but we know how much we pay the, the guys you're seeing, the crew, like Dennis, for example. Uh, we know how much, you know, uh, say people like Mark would get, uh, you know, uh, what their stake is, uh, you know, all the other people who call to help us, for example. We know how much that costs us, right? When we are setting the price, you know, when you come and say, we will give you two mics for two hours for, say, 100,000, we've taken all that into consideration, right? And in the end, when we count our books, we know at the end of the month, if we get the target kind of people we, we, are, we are expecting to get and we pay off uh, other people as we've agreed, yeah. we are making a profit, right? And so for us, it is you who's paying for ours, our mates, who's actually paying all these guys. You know? yeah. It's not money coming from my pocket, right? And this is mostly what private companies do, right? And they're an accountant, so you know that, you know, the, the, uh, whatever assets and, you know, I don't know what yeah. but, you know, one column has to be, yeah, the assets the must be equal to the yeah, capital exactly. and the equity, I mean, and the liabilities. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. in end use, yeah, they don't, the end user is not paid, right? The, the net impact would be if you raised a million dollars, yeah, and you spent 900,000 actually on the beneficiary, right? If you raised a million dollars, uh, I'll say, uh, first again, tell me the the short form of the NGO. TEF. TEF. If you if TEF raised a million dollars, right, and they spent nine hundred thousand actually getting kids in school, you know, ninety percent of that money getting that would be an efficient NGO. Yes, right? yes, that's but true. if TEF raised a million dollars and they spent sixty percent operating paying for office space at TEF, uh, paying you to to look at the books, you know, things like that, and then you spend four hundred thousand. Uh, in scholarships, in direct beneficiary, you know, in, in direct money that beneficiary is getting, yeah. 
that in my opinion would be inefficient. That's why there's a very big difference between NGO accounting mm. and uh, government accounting and private accounting. Yeah, there's actually right me on that. I did not know yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, government accounting is, is what we call public, public sector accounting. Mm. Very different. For the NGO, you actually don't report assets and liabilities. We don't, we, we don't report that. Because all, all NGOs do is spend. Yes. Um, all NGOs do is spend. And actually, the significant influence a donor has can even be on the structure of the NGO. He can say, I want this structure because I know this is how my money will be well spent. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest difference. So, profit, that's why they actually call non profit organizations yeah. spend, 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 spend. The element of profit is, does not affect the NGO. It yeah, is actually for private equity, private firms. So, when you bring in an management of efficiency and inefficiency, mm -hmm. yeah. some of these things are beyond control for us. Because the, uh, the donor will say, this is the structure I want. What do you care? He's the one getting the money. Mm -hmm. That's why you see in a private firm, the man can say, avoid overhiring. You can say two people. You yeah. can juggle accounts, you can juggle operations and administration. Yeah. Me, I'll take care of the strategic objectives of the what? The firm. That I, th I hope you're getting the, yeah, I'm the getting essence. It. So now yes. let me pitch to you, my perfect yeah. Uh Do you know Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin. Uh, so you know the blockchain? Yeah, right. I know blockchain. Yeah. So blockchain is this transparent data, right? Yeah. Where uh, transparent and distributed. Where, yeah. you know, all entries are open to everyone. Everyone basically can can store a copy. And uh, this sort of all entries are kept in what they call a block, which makes a blockchain. Yeah. And the longest block basically is sort of the statement of which is the truest block, right? So you have a blockchain. Right, mm. where I can, I, if I wanted to donate to a cause, right? If I wanted to donate, I can donate to, say, fighting HIV, right? There's a there's a, a cause to donating HIV to, to fighting HIV, right? There is an institution whose job is to fight HIV, right? It could be a hospital, yeah, where, where their job is to admit patients. It could be a pharmacy where their job is to distribute ARVs, yeah. right? Yeah. It could be, uh, you know, an institution, say education, for example, yeah? There's an institution whose job is to uh, provide education, right? It could be a school, it could be, uh, it could be a university, it could be a training institute, it could be us, for example, you know, if we have, if we've got a few uh, kids and try to teach them camera work and all that stuff, right? It could be us, right? And what you do is, we go to this open ledger and apply, right? Uh, and apply for a specific amount of money uh, for you know a specific number of people. Say we say we want our tuition today for people who are for students who are paying, we charge them uh, say one million per term, right? But we want to admit thirty students who can't afford to pay, you know, from the village, right? And this is a criteria of selecting students. You know, they have to be Tesot, they have to be studying within Tesot schools. Yeah, this is a criteria, right? And what we want to do is, we, we, uh, it costs one million in tuition. It costs uh, to transport the kid from, uh, say, their home in the village to, to the school. It costs this much. Uh, lunch and supper, the whole time costs this much. Lunch, supper, and breakfast costs this much. 
and maybe some small stipend for the kid to gather up, right? Cost this much. So yeah. if you give us uh, 2.5 million a term, we, we are sure we spend 90% of all that money on the kid. So we will spend 10% for, again, a blockchain, most of the time, if they're smart contracts. So there's a thing called Ethereum, yeah. which is more yeah. suited for building something like this rather Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, if you run all this on a blockchain, it would, of course, the transaction fees would be maybe 10 or 15%, right? But then we don't have an institution that is logged with, uh, with you know, humans. Who, you know, we are not paying 80% of your money in salaries to professionals who can get your back to profit-making companies, yes, right? Yes. Uh, don't you think that, for you know, in your opinion, what, don't you think that would be a more efficient way to manage philanthropy? It is, in my opinion, it is because, uh, well, of course, Bitcoin comes with challenges, but at, at the least, blockchain, it comes with its own challenges, but at least at the bare minimum, I think it's the most efficient way to go forward. That's why you see most uh, uh, blockchain companies are actually pitching. I see, I they see. are they're pitching and they're trying to make sure that people adopt uh, blockchain in the organizations. I've seen... Uh, uh, Jack yeah. of Twitter. Yeah. He's actually you've seen, you've seen his uh, Excel schedule of the organization that he has actually paid using blockchain. He has uh, given care very many, and most of these organizations in Africa. He has dedicated that twenty eight percent of Square to his personal investment to philanthropy, and it's not in cash form. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So again, yeah. so, so that's. Uh, so that is the most efficient way, actually, to, to curb all these vices. I see. Uh, so yeah, that, there is one way of thinking of a blockchain. But blockchain, yeah. for me, in, in our setting, could prove to be a very hard thing to implement. So yeah, again, the thing is, if you want something that works well, yeah. it can't be easy to implement. That's, uh, if it was easy, someone would have done it. Yeah, right? true. So that's one thing. But also, if you look at Bitcoin or crypto, you know, as a form of blockchain, you know, sort of money, speculating, yeah, yeah. buying things, that, that is tricky, you know, I, I, that, that is probably one thing. But I'm talking about the technology behind blockchain, right? The transparency and the decentralization, right? Actually, that is why it is actually being built. That those are its cores. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Transparency and uh, the ease of use and also trying to make sure that a wider scope is being yeah, touched. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then, okay, the key thing, again, about blockchain, and why I think it's, again, I think I've been thinking about uh, philanthropy a lot. Uh, what big organizations, big uh, organizations like, say, Bill and Melinda organization, yeah. have, again, is in return of raising this money, because, again, which is a weird thing, Bill gets us a lot of money, but right. Bill and Melinda Foundation, they don't spend only his money. He also does fundraising. Yeah, yeah. So in, in when they raise this money to, to do whatever they're doing, you know, eliminate polio from the world, you know, eliminate malaria and whatnot. Uh, what they have is, again, which is probably intentional and intentional, the side effect of this is build these demigods, the demagogues, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Is to build these demagogues. You know, you have Bill Gates, for example. Have you ever seen a bad article about Bill Gates anywhere? It's hard to get. It's hard uh, to get, apart from like very, this uh, conspiracy theory thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, what you end up having is this guy who people scared of saying bad things about because it affects the money. You know, they, this is the same trick that uh, the West uses on, on countries like Africa, right? Uh, they donate. So uh, 
this is now saying what is being made over here. Mm. So the it's a carrot L stick method, right? So what the US will do is they'll set up USA in Uganda, and what USA does is to give you, you know, what Americans feel is okay to give out, right? So they say from the American people, they give yeah. Uganda some company, yeah. But what that company comes with, the money so comes conditionally. So they tell you, uh, fight HIV, make sure you're transparent, make sure you're not corrupt, uh, or you know, fight hunger, whatever the, the problem is, right? Uh, in Uganda, I think it's mostly HIV and uh, malaria. Uh, yeah, malaria, HIV, malaria, and, TB. Uh, and women. Those are all good causes. But what they do instead is they make so I rather the consequence of that is when Uganda is budgeting, when uh Kasaide is budgeting, he knows that a USAID will take care of these things. So we don't include that in our budget. You know, so part of the tax I pay is not to fight malaria because it's a big amount of that American people are doing it for me, right? The old the the, 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 the side effect is when uh Say they tell Sebo that the boys in uh, in Somalia are becoming a nuisance. You need to send some Ugandans yeah. to go and risk their lives to, to die because you know these guys are talking about Islam and our ideology is anti-Islam. Uh, what happens is if Sebo says, oh, you know what? Most of opposition leaders are saying Bobby Wine became president. If he says, you know what, today I'm pulling out of Somalia, just like that, then all these consequences are going to come. First of all, Malaria money will just disappear like that yeah, because you say they will have no interest in it. will look for another country to give them malaria money and things like that. So, all in all, what the side effect of donations, you know, this out of our heart kind of giving is, you know, I give and I don't take, is they take in the long run by controlling you, right? But uh, an ownershipless, and, and I think what, what makes, again, blockchain extremely sophisticated and sort of the best kind of technology part time is. Ownershipless, you know, a more anarchy, anarchy, I don't know if it's a word, you know, more anarchy leaning form of organization where there is no actual leader, there is no actual owner, it's decentralized, it's consensus based. What that helps is if Bill Gates wanted to donate to malaria cause, he can do that anonymously on the blockchain, and people who actually implementing solutions around malaria can apply for that money anonymously. They don't know who's donating it, they just know there's a bucket of money, no one is donating it, and then they can get, right? And then it's sort of, what makes them get is, everyone else would think, you know, including Bill Gates, Bill Gates would have say one word to think that, yeah, I think that what, what that organization is doing is good for malaria, and if you get the consensus, if you get the majority of people to agree that what you're doing is good for malaria, you take the money, right? Yeah. Instead of, you know, knowing that as a return for, us having, you know, less mothers die in hospitals, we have to send well-abled men to Ghana in Somalia, you know, fighting American wars, for example, right? And sort of the, 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 the cut-off. And, 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 okay, I mean, again, I'm not against America having interests. What, what, what I'm, uh, and probably share them, and I think that, again, Islam militantism is, is very terrible. Yeah. But what, what I'm, the one talking about this is poverty giving. You know, giving is supposed to be that human thing, the most human thing ever, you know. Uh, a dog, unless it's satisfied, it would rarely take a piece of meat to another dog. True. Right? Yeah, it will, yeah, actually, if the other dog came near it, it would probably fight, right? It's us humans who, you know, apart from, you know, like your, your brothers, strangers who, you know, like, you know, people in America would give to strangers they've never met in Africa, 
because they feel like it's a good thing to do, it's a human thing to do. Yeah, but when you have all these organizations, including yours, uh, say following the normal NGO sort of structure where they pervert giving into unemployment scheme, you know, where, uh, for example, the UN, the UN does almost, uh, say UNICEF, not the UN, UNICEF and welfare program. They do almost 90% of their work in Africa and other third world places that need their help, right? But they have a significant amount of their employees, more than 50% from the West. That top, you know, if you look at country director, yeah. well, most of those people are from the West, maybe India and China, you know, uh, India, China, I don't know much about Japan, but most of those people are from the first world countries, right? So it just shows clearly that this is an employment scheme of. Uh, so the, the, the guy say, who runs UNICEF, or the lady who runs UNICEF, to know that, oh, I'm doing a good job. Uh, I'm not being given breadcrumbs. While the mother who is being, uh, who's, who's being helped to give birth because of UNICEF donation, thinks she's being done a favor. Yet, even this lady is getting donation money, but she's claiming to be employed to earn it, rather yeah. than being yeah. sort of a direct beneficiary. Yeah. And if you look at the budgets, again, the inefficiency thing is, the majority of the money is actually spent paying people like her. Rather Expatriates. Than, yeah, exactly. Rather than pay, paying the money. So yeah. Actually, uh, there are a lot of complexities that uh, are around the NGO world. Blockchain, NGO, your suggestion is top-notch. Like, it would actually work efficiently for, for, the, for the NGO world. But the NGO world is very complex. I agree. I totally agree. That's why you see, even in America, the people that are fighting blockchain, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are saying, what is this? Because they know at the end of the day, the money is going to be concentrated in a certain platform. What happens to me? Who, what happens to a billionaire like Bill Gates? Where is he going to put his money? You get there are a lot of uh, questions around blockchain. But again, that doesn't take us far away from what the normal happenings in the NGO world. Expatriates are all over. And these expatriates actually rented, uh, rented a big apartments, big houses yeah, in yeah, Kololo, Muyenga. So it's a scheme. Take and give. I see, I it's, see. it's actually a transaction. Yeah, I see, I see. And that is the basis of human relations. I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the other question, right? Uh, are there non Ugandans in Benjamin where you work? No, maybe donors. Yeah, but uh, no, our country director is uh, local. All the employees are local. I see, I see. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's uh, the question of the criterion. Yeah. Uh, because again, that's also one of the weird things that I felt in, and I remember once when I was still a very young man and very rebellious, I wrote about my experience at UNICEF, where uh, at the time I left, I was only in Uganda in, in the office. Uh, was I, I think I was one of two. No, I think I was the only one. I don't remember. Yeah. But, uh, and I was an engineer, right? So for engineer, I did, uh, uh, so I was in a department called uh, Innovations Lab. But the tricky part is, the guy who sat next to me, my boss, made more money than any of us because of my boss. But then all, no, no, we were two. So we were two. The, the guy who did this administration was in Uganda, right? Yeah. So, but here's the thing. The guy, my boss, the guy who, who like, can, actually, they, no, no, not even my boss. My boss maybe was getting out of money. The least paid in Uganda, in the in the office we sat in, made more money than me, than that other guy that sat in. The guys who guard, 
the Ugandan guys who got because they were police guys, they were paid by police, so not a lot of money. The ladies who clean, and uh, literally every Ugandan in office, all their money combined. So if you got all our salaries, it was one It was for one month. Added revenue, it was less than the least paid in Uganda. Yeah. In the office. That's that's actually has been the norm across. Yeah, and, and how does for me that makes me I, I know like part of why I decided to live and you know go and hustle be poor but live with dignity thing was that made me feel inferior. You know, when you read about these stories of say slavery, when you read about yeah. apartheid in South Africa, when you read about uh, sort of Martin Luther King's cause, uh, you think of these things most like history, right? Or as far away. You know, when you think of say for example uh, what Mandela stood for, you know, say, you know, I'm not making a deal. I'd rather die in prison, but I'm not making a deal with a white man unless uh, South Africa is equal, right? Uh, if you look at Martin Luther King, I have a dream and, uh, you know, he gets killed and says, I'm going to leave my movement, uh, even if it's risky for my life, but I'm not living again in America where people, where black people are sort of second citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, a lot of Gandhi, for example, in India as well. You know, a lot of these things when you read about them, they are very historical, it's very far away, it's very heroic people. Until you realize it's probably not very different from the society you're in, right? Uh, and you know, like, for example, when we were at UNICEF, that's sort of the theory. You feel like, yeah, I mean, okay, maybe this guy is my boss and he makes slightly more money than me. Uh, actually, the respect guy wasn't my boss, so the other guy was, was different. Maybe this guy is, you know. We're doing a different job, and yeah, but the fact that you're earning more money than all Ugandans in the Ugandan office, yeah, combined, something is fundamentally <laughs> wrong about this. this. There's something racist, you know, you know, about this. And yeah, again, I'm not it's, a, it's about interests, yeah, it's about interests. This, this uh, donors have interests, like for the case of uh, I'll give for your own case, UNICEF, uh, there's an expatriate code. Most of these uh, donors yeah. say that this is an ex- ex- expatriate. He's coming into your country. We have to take care of the living wage. That we have to take care of the monthly wage. We have to make sure that they're catered for. This is a foreign land. That is in disguise. Yeah. For me, in my own opinion, that is all disguise. But they're actually promoting capital flights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is a wrong thing so, to so do. So let's explain capital flight. Capital flight is a... Uh, You've seen most Indians making money here, the likes of maybe, I don't want to mention names, mm. but uh, you've seen many people making money in Uganda, yeah. but the money is going back to their country. Yeah, money is expatriated to, to the country. Yeah. Do you know why? They don't have interest here. Their interest here is to make the money. They feel there's an opportunity to make huge billions of money in this country. That's why you see a man rents a big apartment in, in Uganda. He doesn't actually buy property. He doesn't buy property. The man says, I am going to stay in Uganda for 10 years. And that is the bare, the bare minimum. When I leave Uganda, my, my money is in my country. Yes. But and that is what is happening in NGOs. How, how is that? My, my dad used to, to work in, in Japan when I was growing up. Yeah. And yeah, he brought all his money. But how is that different from, from that? You know, most of the money was to pay school fees for me. I'm going to buy some land to build a farm. That's why I'm saying it's all about interests. It's all about interests. Where you have an interest is where you put much of your energy. What are you going to do in Japan in the long run? These are questions that you keep asking yourself. In the long run, you're coming back home. 
in Uganda. So why would you concentrate your investments in Japan? That is the same thing. Yeah, but most of these countries have laws that are governing uh, repatriation of money. I don't know for the case of Uganda. I do not know, to be honest. Yeah, okay, so the white versus black thing is also very argument to make, right? Yeah. Because it's well documented and it's also very clear, you know, white and black and white is sort of the clearest opposite that one can think about. But there's also the case of Ugandans. Yeah. Right? And this is where, again, I, I was emphasizing a lot on, on uh, I was emphasizing a lot on the ethnicity part of the organization, right? Uh, in Uganda today, uh, and I think I read this, I think it's Faizo who, who tweeted this. Yeah, and I don't know how true it is, right? But uh, we know that only one region has benefited from the COVID crisis. Uh, it's only one, you know, we know that money has been stolen, right? Uh, that is a public secret. Uh, money has been stolen, and uh, that uh, Faizo's, I don't know if I want to blame him or something. It's a, the, Twitter, the guy who tweeted that, mm. his assumption was a lot of money has been made by people from the West, right? And I don't know how true that is, but again, my inclination will be that is very That's why I bring it up. You know, I'll be inclined to think that obviously there are some people from the North who have stolen some money, there are some people from Uganda who have stolen some money, there are some people from the East and everywhere, yeah. but a significant amount from the West, right? But part of the conversation in that tweet was, you know, the weird thing is these people are not investing in the West. These people are buying properties in Uganda, they're building malls in Kampala, they're building stuff around. Uh, sort of the greater Kampala. The greater Kampala. Yeah. The, the greater Kampala. And uh, it's sort of the same conversation, right? Um, so the people in the West, their reputation is getting tainted, you know, Banyankola uh, corrupt. But the benefits actually done by few, few Korapanyankole, who, you know, we know there are few, but they are, they, they're still big. Banyankole, they just, they still are, you know, you see them, they are still real chance yeah, of yeah. Bonanza. Uh, but the actual Banyankole who are getting their reputation tainted and you know who are sort of uh, uh, what's the word it's prejudicial right uh, people are now looking at them as the other tribe right which happened again in Yamin's time and what is yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the Northerners were the other tribe and everyone else was bad. it's just a cycle yeah it's a cycle so what they what they say is you know this is not fair we are not eating the money and in fact we are not even, it's not like we're getting employed more, right? We still have people, yeah, youth in Barara, who can't get employed unless they come to Kampala, right? Because this is where all the money is, yeah. right? The, the guys who are still in Barara, they are still investing it in Kampala. And, you know, isn't this sort of, uh, isn't it like, uh, you use the word cycle, but isn't this the innate, like, where we are going to keep living, you know, until, of course, someone comes up with an actual solution? Uh, where you know we have a few, I mean, it's not easy as you say, where we have a few people who acquire, but then they use these identities that that sort of tie them to masses, right? So if Museveni calls himself a Nyankole, for example, mm. that makes you think of like the majority of the many, many Nyankole who know nothing about Museveni as in the same basket with Museveni, yet you know they just have this identity. The same thing with, you know, what your NGO is doing, right? Yeah. The right thing. Uh, the, you know, it's, again, it doesn't have to be a, a, a thing, even the Baganda, right? If you if you have, for example, what's the name of this guy, the Attorney General, who went and said, who went and defended the, the state for 
for, for what? The current or the, the past? The current one. Chimanuka. Chimanuka. KK. Yeah, KK went and defended the military court. So the attorney general, who's supposed to be the lawyer of the Ghanaians, went and said the, 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 the DC for the army, the martial court, which is, you know, the DC for the army, which it is not a court, is can actually convict people who didn't subscribe to the... the I think uh, Kenneth, the biggest takeaway for me from all the dealings that are happening in this country yeah. is authority and control by the big man. Yes, once if you want authority and control, then you need leadership. But for you to actually get leadership, you need to bend to the powers they are in. You see, Keke is a very objective person. He's a very, uh, in in my opinion, but now that he's in the system, you have to bend to the powers. Yes, you have to compromise. But the biggest if you if you think you want to take uh, power, you must be able to challenge it. Can he be the biggest question should be can he be able to challenge the power that is in authority now? You get these are all political things and it's very very hard. I don't disagree with you. My my point though was uh, if KK identified as a Uganda. I'll be tainted as, and this has been around a lot, you know. Yes, if you, yes. If you look at the history of Sebo's. True, uh, true, true, true. So, so the funny moves he has pulled, it has always been almost Baganda at, you know, actually doing the data work for him, right? And and that could taint me as well. By my association. Yeah, by my association, because again, my father was in Uganda, I didn't have any choice in that. You know, by my association with Uganda, I could be tainted. To, to, to this, right? And 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 again, this is this is the same thing with white people, right? There are there are few white people who are racist. Yeah. Majority of white people are not. But whenever you look at a racist white person, he reminds you that shit, white motherfuckers are racist. You know <laughs> even if all the white people you actually know in your life, they are not racist. I mean maybe like some you know there's that there's always an element of yeah, uh, racism. Sort of cultural difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel so sorry for you. Like, you, know, say, you know, there's always that, that thing. Even nepotism, actually, even if it was your power, Kenneth, you would do everything in your favor to make sure you lift the person. That, but, you know, I don't believe that. I it's, 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 it's the way we humans are. Uh, there, there are two ways to look at this, right? Look at Russia. Yeah? Okay. If, if you look at it from a historical perspective, look at Russia. Yeah? Uh, Russia, after the fall of the Soviet Union, it comes into the chaos we had in '96, where you know people were stealing things. You know, uh, guys are buying UCB at over how much money? You know, people are stealing. You know, everything, all public property. Uh, privatization has come as an ideology, and people are now stealing. You know, privatization, right? This happened in Russia before it happened here, right? Uh, okay, not before, maybe at the same time, yeah. But what happened in Russia when Putin went on was to make it a little bit legitimate, so that people don't end up stealing. So that the man doesn't go in spoilers because I think Russia had gone into. I've read that book, uh, The Red Notice. So this is this is what I'm referring to. Uh, so Russia had, uh, I think it had turned down a loan, or it had turned down the IMF, but I refused to give it a loan, one thing like that. And so you know, it was the their market, the economy was uh, dropping. Yeah. Their 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 currency was inflating significantly. I think actually when IMF even gave them money. What the oligarchs did is they stole all the money and just decided to keep it out of Russia to safeguard it, right? And, and what Putin does when he comes into power is to make sure at least people can feel confident keeping money in Russia because that was important for Russians to what? 
for you know for, for Russian oil to be legitimate, right? Yeah. Otherwise, if everyone if they sold if they dug out the oil and sold it to Americans and then they actually got all the money and kept it in America, you know, Russia would still step forward. It will be like uh, you know like see Nigeria for example, like most of those uh, oil rich countries, the, the the countries that they claim are the oil cars, right? So what Putin does is he says will legitimize Russia, you know, and this means few people are going to get losses. And the guy who writes that book, Red Notice, starts uh, going after uh, companies that are putting their books, companies that write reviews of their shares, companies that are trying to cheat Western investors. And you know, for a big, for a long time, he's making a significant amount of money as Russia mm. legitimizes, True. right? But then Putin now becomes confident that the economy is stable and robust enough. That, yeah, it's too big to fail. And now, you know, the guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So for me, in my opinion, is enough for the case of the Russian economy. I've uh, read about uh, how Abramovich was once an oligarch. Yeah. You get how is they brought... He uh, is, because mm-hmm. they control a significant yeah, yeah. amount of power and money yeah. in the country. And how they brought uh, Putin into power. Yeah. All that uh, fiasco. So for me, I think our wealth should be equitably distributed across. Yeah. But that cannot be... That is not the ideal world. But no, actually, I don't think that. That is not the right. ideal world. No, the real I, I, world, mm. the real world is, we cannot have an equitable distribution of income. Um, we always have people at the bottom and those at the top of the hierarchy. You did, you did economics. Right? Yes, I did uh, economics. What, what, uh, what theory? What general theory do they teach you guys? I know there is. Uh, are you familiar with the Austrian school? No, 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 no. Are you familiar with uh, Keynesian? Yeah, Keynesian School of Economics. So, uh, well, they're not opposites. So, okay, there are, there are two ways to look at this, right? To look at it from the Marxist perspective, which I think is, for me, I personally think it's stupid. It's beautiful to read, but it's just not practical, even in a family, right? Uh, the, you can look at the Marxist perspective, right? Central control, uh, almost pure equality, and, and all that. Uh, yeah. You can look at the Austrian school, yeah, yeah, which is sort of the direct opposite of Marx, where it's totally free market, right? I trade to you, uh, we agree on a price, we sell. You know, it doesn't matter what uh, we can sort of uh, form cartels. We can, you know, we can. It's it's a free market. There is no government intervention, yeah. right? And then you look at the Keynesian. That thing, is that my is that is my old that is my whole perspective. You see, for that to happen. That is not the, the real world. That is the ideal world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Government intervention is a must in every state. Be it in the US, there is no business that has no government intervention. And that is why you see that uh, you, you, you can want to set up uh, maybe an oil refinery, mm-hmm. but you cannot do it without the help of a government. So yeah, so, so my point here was, the reason for that, and that's a good example of me, yeah, the reason why the Austrian school perspective fails yeah. is it does not anticipate violence. Okay, right? okay. Uh, and so right now, governments have they're in this beautiful position where they have a monopoly on legal violence, right? Uh, so of course you can kill me if you wanted, but it wouldn't be legal, right? Uh, it would still be illegal to, to do that, right? Mm. But you can do it. But the government can kill you, you know, they, they just kill you and it's legal. Yeah. No one investigates because they have that monopoly, right? Yeah. And 
what the violence did for them, what that monopoly of violence did for them, is it helped them, you know, you can improve violence in a good way, right? You keep security here by threatening that whoever comes to steal, will shoot them, right? That's medical violence, right? But you can also use the violence, get the guns that are supposed to kill the people to guns steal from them, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the governments did that. Uh, people who are empowered, this Putin example is, is good, right? Putin uses violence to stabilize the Russian economy. The economy yes. And when the economy is stable enough, he uses that same violence to now steal of our heritage capital, whatever, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the capital thing in that book world, right? He uses the same violence to do that, right? Which is the same thing that is is happening. So you can't have an entire free market because, again, violence is not freely distributed. True, right? true. So in a world where we've innovated on violence, right? So I know uh, mass extinction, we bring the big, you know, there are no nuclear weapons and we know we can take ourselves off the planet if we want, right? True. But in a, a world where we've, you know, I don't know how this works, but, you know, I'm sure in the future, this, these are going to be the biggest problems for the future, right? In a world where violence is by distributed, right? Where uh, if you come to steal from me, I've set up enough controls as an individual to kill you before you can steal from me. You know, I've set up enough controls to, to, to protect myself, yeah. but I also, if I wanted to rise, if I wanted to mobilize, rise up against the government, I can mobilize enough violence, you know, without technopathship to, 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 to raise against the government. Yeah? And so what you have is a government that doesn't steal from people, right? Because again, what we have, for example, in Uganda is hardly a popular government, right? What Very unpopular. Yeah, is a government that is backed strongly by violence, you know, and I, I think it's not just Uganda. You look at the US, for example, you look at, uh, I think maybe Scandinavia, you could say, the semi uh, popular government, you know, it's democratic. Switzerland. Yeah, but a, a significant amount of countries in the world, the power is held by violence. And that is why, you know, uh, even right now, you see China investing a lot in their military. The U.S. investing way, way more than any other country in their military and things like that, because violence is sort of the only form. An equalizer. Yeah, it's only yes. form of power, right? But when you come now to the market, you know, me and you, we, we, we deal every day. So market forces affect me. You know, if the price of sugar went up, that would affect me directly. Right? True. But if the price of the AK-47 went up, yeah, I, I don't really care about that, right? Then we have a market that affects us. Right of day-to-day -day commodities where I can interact with you, uh, and during that process where we we interact on things that are not that don't interfere at all, that don't have any element of violence in them, mm. we can go with the Austrian school. Right? It's yeah. it's a more predictive theory of how sort of well, it's not a theory. It's it's sort of their ways of looking at economics is more predictive of how the markets work. Right? Entire free markets. Uh, that's why Bitcoin, for example, that doesn't do anything at all, is selling at 40,000 today. It's because there is demand for it, and someone someone is willing to pay 40,000 for it, and someone else is not willing to sell it at 30,000, right? That's true. But again, Kenneth, the biggest point should be, I think, how does the, the population try to take advantage of the violence that the government is trying to impose on us? Is it possible? It's not. Yeah, so my, my opinion going forward, as you say, free market economy, where the market forces of demand and supply control price, how are we going to be able to leverage the price that is at the market cap at the equilibrium to make sure that we at least get something? You get? Uh, what do you mean by that? Actually, 
what I'm trying to say, the market forces of demand and supply. Yeah. Once the market forces of demand and supply at equilibrium, that means we cannot set the price above or below. Uh, so you get. Is, uh, John Nash. So I also don't. Uh, again, the kind of okay. We cannot. There's a if if you are to go to the price ceiling or the the price floor, mm-hmm. it's not in our favor. Yeah. You get. So we always try to get something that works for everyone, so that we can have an equal distribution of the markets. Yeah, but demand the, and supply can never be so, the same. So what uh, what the guys from the Australian School argue? This yeah. is uh, I read the rubric from Mesa's book. It's okay. called uh, Human Action. Uh, and what he's arguing is what intervention, you know, this kind of stuff of uh, say uh, protectionism, why you tax Chinese products uh, more than local products because you want people to buy their local products. Uh, things like that. In the end, what that does is distort the free market. You know, bailing out, for example, what happened in the US, where uh, you know when the when Wall Street fell, you know, when when there was a crash, when there was a major crash, uh, the US had to get money from taxpayers to bail these yeah, uh, yeah. the farms out so that you know US can keep a strong economy. That works today because again the idea of America is bigger than is more important than any American having sugar on their dining table, right? Uh, sort of, it's okay for everyone to be stolen from, so we can, so America can keep that illusion that, you know, so the rest of us can think that America is the biggest economy in the world. Yeah, it's okay for them to steal from every American. It's more important. It's it, the fair thing about, you know. I earn my money, uh, don't tax it, to pay, don't use my tax money to bail out uh, AIG. That doesn't make sense in America because, again, the, the people who hold the violence believe that this idea they call America is more important than you having to, you know, treat your kid or something, or having, you know, it was a housing crash, so yeah. you having to have a place to sleep, you one with America. And uh, so what, again, what Mesa's using the book is, that kind of interventionism, is anti-capitalist. So the book is very, very hardcore capitalist. And yeah. It's trying to prove that uh, it's very, very convincing also. It's quite an easy read. I, I see the whole point you're trying to make. Uh, the, the issue of bailouts, for me, in my opinion, does not apply for the Ugandan concern. I've seen many bailout options. Uh, I've seen uh, Emioga mm-hmm. is a bailout option for young people, circles, microfinance yeah, yeah, support yeah, center. Yeah, yeah. Has it dished out that money? The, Actually, uh, NBS did an investigation on that Demioga fund, and uh, about 5,000 SMEs never got that money. Why? Because the government was in election period. It was trying to dish out money without these Demiogas trying to uh, satisfy the requirements for them to get that money. What does, where does that leave the economy? Money is concentrated in hands of a few people. How do we distribute it? Should be the biggest question that we, we need to, to tackle. I've seen uh, the government also tackling uh, poverty through those uh, presidential initiatives. It doesn't work. What should work is let us put money in private farms that will be able to to ascertain the eligibility. Most of these businesses are not creditworthy. Most of them are not creditworthy. And where does that leave the government? Hold the money. Put put businesses in incubators. Government has the capacity to actually put incubators so in every region. That's also from the 
from your opinion, why is the government getting that money from? The, this is this is taxpayers' money. Most of you, so most you know of this money is. Specifically, you know how much Ugandans pay in tax. Um, we are trying to to reach a six trillion gap by next financial year, according to projections from the URA. Okay. I don't know if we shall be able. Uh, That's why you're seeing many taxes being put on Ugandans. Now you you've know, seen the percentage of Ugandans who actually pay tax. Very little. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, the question of where does the money come from? That's why I'm telling you, money is held in the hands of a few individuals. Okay. That is the whole point. The biggest question we should be asking ourselves is, how does money get to all branches of the economy? Yeah. So that Museveni is always thinking about the money economy. In, in your own opinion, do you think it's ideal? Do you think it has become real? So how can you have a money economy when all these market forces of supply and demand are just... So, so it becomes a very hard question to answer. From my perspective, yeah, this is, I think, the world. Uh, okay, let's say Uganda. Right? This is, I think, Uganda was working. And I wanted to compare for you uh, Putin's approach, uh, where we went on this little one. I wanted to compare for you Putin's approach, and you know, using that story that I read in the Red Notice. So it's probably one bias a little bit, but Putin's approach from uh, Xi Jinping, and say maybe the Chinese guy, you know, Chairman Mao, for example. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I don't know Chairman Mao. Oh, this is Xi Jinping, right? Okay. Uh, so, Xi Jinping opens up, right? The, is it Xi Jinping? The, the, I don't know, I don't, this guy's name is very hard to pronounce for me. But the, the guy who comes before Xi Jinping, right? They, they make these deals with, I think, Kissinger and whatever. They, they open up China, you know, for capitalism, the Chinese version, apparently, right? Yeah. Because China was also very Marxist. Uh, they open up China, and what they do, right, uh, is they put structures in place. Yeah, even if they centralize power in their party, that CCP party, they put structures in place where China, the idea, is the most important metric, right? So today, uh, you can steal money. You know, like uh, IMF can give us money. You steal it and go and build a thing in what? In, in Russia, you can build, not Russia, no, in, in Switzerland. You can build an apartment in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, and you still. Like you steal from Ugandans in a way that the Ugandans can't make money back, right? It's yeah. okay to steal, and this was, I think, a rumor as well. It's okay to, well, it's not okay, but it's, it's better to steal uh, IMF money and you build a hospital where you make profit, but you still treat Ugandans, right? That, that's, I mean, stealing, steal, but it's, it's the better version of the devil, right? Okay. Uh, so, what, uh, what, uh, Xi Jinping does, he says, you know, first of all, we are going to fight corruption. Uh, we are going to uh, make sure we build China. You know, we, are going, we have the biggest uh, market because we have the biggest number of people. Uh, we are going to make sure we close a little bit. The things that we can, that can come from China, we make sure it's hard to import them. So we are going to put a high, high tax on importing American stuff, for example, right? But we are going to sell our stuff so cheaply and also with the money thing, they, they play the yeah. money valuation so the Chinese uh, currency is well, is, it buys, rather the dollar buys a lot of Chinese money so, so that, you know, uh, again, things are cheaper from China. It's, it's, uh, it's what? It's better to, for Chinese people to export. Yeah. So, so they do all these economic things. And what comes out today is the Chinese success story where 800 million people have been risen from extreme poverty, right? And, and sort of like this is, I think in our lifetime that will happen again, right? But the consequence of that is, uh, again, because of these 
you said authoritarian because of the two approaches of authoritarian, right? There's the, 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 the Russian way, where we have the mediocre economy, but you know, uh, you know, people are, are basically living scared, but uh, they can hide. Yeah, and then you have the Chinese version where people are not scared of the government. Yeah, uh, you can't say anything against the government, but you're not very scared of thieves or guns because you know if someone steals from you, the government is extremely efficient. They yeah. probably will find them. But that means also you cannot take separately. You can't have a separate thought. You know, you're in that Aurelia 1984 situation where your thoughts are being monitored, right? So you have a country of a, a very very prosperous country. You know, economically prosperous country. But it doesn't have to people, right? It has uh, sort of many of these people who are very, who are held by this iron fist of the, the government, right? They are safe and they have everything. They, I mean, they're not they're not worried. In China, they're not very worried, and they managed actually to fight this uh, COVID thing even if it started from there because of their authoritarian nature, right? And then you have Russia, which I think Russia is more similar to Uganda, where everything is mediocre. You know, you want to start a small gang here, still a few, as long as you don't steal from the wrong person. If you steal from an oligarch son, who knows the oligarch, then they'll kill your gang, True. right? But if you if you find your gang and you steal from the your, your guys, you can also survive with your car mini cartel within Russia, right? Uh, you start your hacking thing, as long as you're, you're hacking American companies, you can collect your bitcoins and exchange them in Russia for for, for you know for dollars and, and you know have your, your criminal enterprise around right and actually if you if your criminal enterprise is ideological line to the Russian way the government can even indirectly fund to help you you know Russia North Korea the government indirectly sponsors the cyber criminals to help them infiltrate uh, like the West more right it's part of so so there is that and it's very similar to what we have here as well uh, here today uh, the police guy can start his own thing where Put a roadblock like here in China. Mm. Guys can put a roadblock uh, on this ring road where it doesn't support where it isn't supposed to be, just because they want to collect, right? That you couldn't do in China, right? Because in China now that 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 is very people report like being easy for the government to penalize. But if you phone those guys and you didn't pay them and reported, or you paid them and reported them, you know nothing's going to happen. You know, there's no one to report to the economy is mediocre, but also you have freedom if you're very creative and if you're willing to take risks. You can start your own gun and steal from people and steal, you know, the, the, the border gun. There's a video that moved from border gun stole from the Indian, right? There's that freedom, right? But again, you know, freedom you can use in the right way. You can use it just to steal, but you can use it to innovate, right? If you came up with an idea of how to, to make deals, to sell gold or whatever, you know, I think that's what Ugandans are doing very much now. Now, Kenneth, uh, do you know, you've, I know you've heard of the deep state. Deep state, yeah. Yes. Do you think uh, something like that is happening? Because for me, in my opinion, we're in a deep state. Why do you think uh, the president's brother is is, 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 is camping in Gulu? There's a, there's a video where this guy was missing, Bobby Wine. Yeah, it's a very disturbing video to watch for people like Bobby Wine, Adolwa. So Adolwa was making the distinction very clear. Museven is the political wing of the NRM. Saleh is the business wing. Right? Exactly. And, yeah, but it has been very. If you read uh, Kalimachi's book, when uh, I think Saleh was in the deal to steal, well, that's what the book claims. I don't know. When Saleh was in the deal to to steal, to bring fake choppers from Belarus, I think. You know, Saleh was in the deal to bring fake choppers, choppers from Belarus. And, uh, you know, basically, was by a time over the commissioner. It was the guy who was supposed to catch him, and then things just went out from there for him, right? Uh, 
if you, if you read that, that, that book, then you know, like, accumulating wealth has been part of the big strategy of holding power, you know. It's one thing to have the violence, but it's also a better thing to have, you know, the, the money so you can take the approach of carrot and yeah. stick, right? So you first give the guy the carrot, you first give the host the carrot, and if it can work with the carrot, if you can, if you can do whatever you want while giving it a carrot, that's fine. But if it refuses, then you will, right? So, so that's sort of the approach they've taken. Violence yes. is the last resort. Yes. But now that they control most of the world, it is. Uh, and, and I think that also becomes hard for for creativity a little bit because if, for example, if we are able to scale this up, if we are able to to pitch this to, to, to white people and they gave us say a significant amount of money to scale this up the, or the way we, we expect our vision to be we are going to start getting deterred by political reasons because i mean unless of course we take the carrot right if so let's say hey, you guys have raised two million dollars you take my half a million dollars worth of this stake so that i can tell you what to say on your podcast uh, if we turn it down then it's uh, down the road from there. Yes. So, Kenneth, that is the whole point of the deep state. That's the bigger picture. You know, we cannot have control. We as ordinary citizens, the only way we can have control is to check the government. How? Uprisings. But we do not, we, the state like Uganda cannot support uprisings. We do not have the capacity to. What, what, what is the capacity to? You tell me the capacity. We do not have the, 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 first of all, we do not have the, <laughs> Again, we do not have the guns. How are we going to get the guns? Yeah, but again, uh, if you... Uh, An uprising or a revolt. And we are very fearful as Ugandans. So that, is the biggest, that is the biggest factor. I, I, know that. I don't think we are any more fearful than any other country. But again, if you want to read the history of how people have risen in the modern times, right? Uh, where the force of violence against them has been overwhelming. Maybe just to cut your shot, uh, let's just look at the example of doctors. Doctors tried to, to revolt against the government. What did they end? Okay, so that is the whole point. Yeah. We Ugandans, we do not have the capacity in form of uh, strength, in form of equipment, and also we are not mentally ready to take on the government. Okay, so uh, the yeah, mentally ready, I'm, 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 uh, yeah, I agree with that, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Gandhi. In India, right? Started that new movement, the thing that Mandela copied, the thing yeah. that Martin Luther copied of non-violent uprisings, yeah. right? And the reason why people call it successful, right, is because it actually got things to change, right? But also the other reason why it was successful is Gandhi exploited the core of humanity, right? Right now, if I took up a gun, yeah, if I took up three guns. Yeah, and I went against the government. The government will bomb me with the what? A bazooka, right? It yeah. is excessive compared to my uh, to, to kind of violence I was putting against it. But people will be okay with that because I implied that I'm ready for violent what? A violent uh, sort of a violent aggression. You know, I was ready to go violently. Yeah, but if what you know, basically, I think will try to do a lot of work. If I choose to motivate civil disobedience or mobilize people to do anything other than violence. I think what Kobe is also overemphasizing, you know, if I choose to go non-violently, yeah, and say rise up or whatever, whatever I decide to do, then the government obviously is going to first use violence, but that violence will be measured as a form of intimidation. You know what they did to 
in November. Yeah. Where they were pretty short in violence. Yeah. They wouldn't have done that for all week. That is my assumption. That was measured violence as a form of intimidation. Right? This government does no shame. Look at what happened in Libya. Look at what happened in Chad. Look at what uh, happened in Angola. The governments do not care about the citizens. No, no, but the thing is, what you, when you do what happens... My whole point, Kenneth, yeah. is we Ugandans cannot sustain an uprising. That is... And you, uh, Ugandans are very diverse. You, you, you have seen it. Okay, no, uh, let us take... Uh, Ugandans are okay. Let, let us take a random sample of Kampala. Mm-hmm. Random sample of Kampala. Uh, 2006 elections, kids are best year against the government. Yeah. It lasted how many days? About six days. The next uh, the next week, the streets were empty. Yeah. Lot of killings, lot of businesses destroyed, and that is what happened. Once that happened in Libya, once the citizens tried to rise against Gaddafi, what happened? Death. No, no, and what actually, what happened in Libya is actually a typical example of what I'm trying to say, that we cannot sustain an uprising. But that is how you misunderstand this thing. The reason why uh, Ugandan form of, if you, if you compare, for example, NRA thing took yeah. five years, Bessinger's thing took six days, uh, the thing, Bobby Wayne's thing took two days. Yeah. The reason why this number, the amount of time we spend protesting reduces and reduces is not because Museven increases violence and increases more violence. It's because now Museven is a better politician. Yeah, he will get after the, the six days, he will start looking for the ringleaders and offer the carrot. Right? If they don't take the carrot, they will obviously offer the whip. He will bring out the stick, right? But most people are just humans, right? They will follow Bobby Wayne. Uh, this guy, what's the name of that chick? Who named that Sam Seven? I don't know. Full figure. Full yeah. figure. Most people will follow Bobby Wayne. Until something better comes along. And Museven knows this because it's a human thing, right? And Museven knows he's a better politician. And again, I think he's one of the most egregious leaders. He's willing to do the most embarrassing shit to stay in power, right? He just doesn't have an ego at all. So he's willing to, you know, ally with full figure. He's willing to kill some people on the side. He's willing to, you know, that is his approach, basically. He's just a very good politician, right? So the next uprising, so for example, this thing that happened, where they shot people. In Kampala, he managed to manage that, right? He, because again, his interest is managing, making sure that the Americans don't say too much, uh, making sure the Europeans don't call him a dictator too much. And as soon as that is well managed, what he's doing inside Uganda is looking for those ring leaders. You know, he'll do what he did to Godwin's kids. Uh, if he can't, or if you're very feeling, as a, as a form of intimidation, you take people to CMI and intimidate them and pull out their nails and do all that stuff. So he can do that. Alternatively, he will find some ring leaders and try to buy them. You know, I think there were rumors also passing that the majority of new MPs in Kampala were already bought by Sewo. So he's capable of doing that. He will identify people who are braveable, people who need who he needs to use as an example, and then people who cannot be braved, who just need to die, basically. Right? And he will do all that in a measured way to make sure that the next step the uprising is smaller. Right? The only way to pull off something that like Gandhi pulled off is, again, most people have been saying this, ideology, right? People cannot follow in a, a, a person in, in the age of Twitter. Yeah? The reason why the Gandhis, or even basically, the reason why the Basidians were very popular is because we got all news from 
the same radio stations. We didn't, we, there was no Twitter in 2006, right? Yeah, we yeah, got on news from the same radio station, right? And the radio station couldn't bring me to debate basically. Even right now, basically goes along on TV. Have you ever seen basically on TV with the, the, the panelists? It goes along. It goes along with the presenter, right? I don't go on TV to debate basically. I don't go on TV to debate Museveni. So it's Museveni and basically having a one-on-one conversation and I pick a side, you know, of the two, right? But now on Twitter, I don't have to go on TV to insult basically. President. Yeah, I just go on Twitter and I be basically a fake guy, right? Same thing. You know, I go on Twitter to say, boy, hey, say boy, a fake guy. That is like the, the way it's distributed. The only way to get me to follow him is speech to me, which is the thing that has been working in Uganda. And this is the thing why I think Bob Weinstein is also very stagnant at the moment. They don't have that ideology like most Ugandans. And the reason that is not there is Museven has mastered the colonial divide and conquer so much that the problem in Uganda is not the problem in Bali, it's not the problem in Barara. You know, to get a uniform ideology for Uganda as a country, that takes real genius instant shit, right? I don't think it's possible, in my opinion. Right? And so it's going to be hard to aim for revolution in Uganda. What is the alternative? The alternative is reform. Right? Uh, if you're in parliament, you can suggest systems that reduce corruption instead of what Sajimi is doing. Right? I mean, again, I, I applaud him. I think it's very commendable what he's doing. But I think that is not as good as, you know, if you invested in hiring people who could suggest alternative systems, right? Say, for example, this is the problem we have with corruption, and this is because it's transparent. Let us pass a private member's bill to make things more transparent, you know, things like that, yeah? To increase the punishment. And these things are going to be shut down. These bills may not pass, but Ugandans will have will start coming up with ideas of how to solve their problems. What you're basically doing when you, when you present these bills to parliament is preaching to Ugandans that this is a problem, this is a very, very specific problem, there's a very, very specific solution, right? And so uh, you won't find one kid maybe uh, five years later, you know, John Katumba, who'd be like, you know what? I remember this guy was suggesting transparency. That's going to be the reason I ran for president, right? This is what Kabeta was running with uh, economic transformation. Financial. Financial inclusion, something like that. Something like that, which is just a small policy. You know, if you want to run a country, that is just one half of the policy to run a country. Now let me let me let, let me just run you through maybe uh, the dealings of Parliament, uh, maybe from the top organ down. Yeah. You see, Parliament works as a government entity, civil servants. It's not an independent Parliament for the case of Uganda. Yeah. That's why you see the, the newly appointed clerk is a guy that has been with Museveni yeah. in the bush. Yeah. Why? It's all about interest. Why do you think teachers and doctors are not paid well? I've seen people saying uh, 200 million in a pandemic like this is not worth it. To the MPs, I disagree. That is the entitlement. You know why? Why where were we to scrutinize such a decision in the previous parliament? No. The 200 million is only came in, in a situation where there was what? An uncertainty, which is what? The pandemic, COVID-19. No. What was right to be done? Here my here is my opinion. I think uh, what Museven is trying to do is try to buy power. You know, once you influence parliament, you have everything you need to operate a country. Policies are passed. This uh, NUP has very good policies. I've seen the the policy document of NUP. They have very good, suggestive, and inclusive policies. But government cannot take them on. 
they are the, they are the yeah. minority in parliament. Yeah. So, Once so, those policies are debated in parliament, they can't be passed. Yeah, so the idea is not to influence government to do anything. The idea, again, is to pitch to Ugandans, right? To put the government in opposition. Yeah, and the way you do this is get a popular thing that you know you, the, the government won't allow, right? Get a popular bill like uh, open up the ministry books, right? Uh, Ugandans have to know how tenders come in and how tenders go out and, and you know all that. And, and think about it, you know, invest money. What Segrinia is doing, that say one billion is spending, I won't know. Invest it in hiring experts to write this out as a policy. Yeah, a, a very clear policy. Let, let me say this, right? right? Put it on the floor, fire. It won't pass. It will not pass, yeah? But promote it. Again, you're allowed to do this as an MP, right? Yes, that's true. Run, along, run around Uganda promoting and what they call consultations, promoting this bill, right? It won't pass. But when it doesn't pass, people are going to hate the government. The government won't become what? Opposition to the people because it knows. Let them do another thing like that. Let them do another thing like that. At some point, when people rise up, Museveni does what? He concedes. Of course, he's not going to allow everything, but he concedes. This is what happened to multi-partism. Yeah? Well, people put it up. The government says, no, the, was it called the NRM? By the it was the movement, the, the, the one party, NSC, something like that. Mm. It says no, but the Ugandans are being pitched to. Yeah? Then they bring it back. It says no, but the Ugandans are being pitched to. Until Museveni has something to get him done. He's like, ah, since you guys want multi-partism, I'll give it to you. Uh, we'll do quid pro quo with what? Uh, lifting term limits, right? And then people, the Ugandans get multi-partisan. If they do the same thing, I think Baganda tried to do the same thing with federal. But federal fails because federal was not universally Uganda, right? It was mostly a Uganda thing. Yeah, but federal also did the same thing. They come and pitch it knowing that this no one is going to pass this in parliament, right? But then we can pitch it to the Ugandans. So Ugandans are aware of this. And I know right now that that, that talk isn't happening again because the politicians gave up on that, but the kind of jamses, the numbers, as I think at that time they were. I have a very typical example of what you're trying to say. Um, I remember there was uh, the previous MPs, there was an MP that he had the thing of agriculture, a policy on a very good mm. agriculture policy. What he did is put the, uh, the policy on the floor of parliament, debated, but was not passed. Mm. What the government did was to adapt part of it. But how can you say that the, the opposition leaders can try to pitch Ugandans? Where do we pitch them to? We don't have the platform. No, no, You've no. seen that radio, TVs are very wary of hosting politicians. That is the best but, avenue. But Ugandans doesn't mean all the 40 million people in Uganda. Ugandan means the people who are willing to partition this political shit. If the, the majority of the political leaders, the political, the opinion leaders agree that transparency is the right move, right? You're pitching to Ugandans. Those are the people who mobilize. You know, when you see uprisings, it's very, very rare. And I don't know how the Tunisia thing happens. It's mostly CIA. Yeah. yeah if, if you see uprisings, if it's not the CIA, then it's locals who, there are few leaders, local leaders, who actually bring the mobilization, right? Those are the people whose minds you care about. It's not like the one you now, why you care about Max Opinion, for example. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but, but, but you get my point, right? You so, get my point. And, and I think we have to, to, to wrap up at some point. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the, the point is still, if you want to change, right, the revolution is hard. It's going to be hard right now because Uganda is too divided. And it's going to be Museveni's goal to emphasize these divisions. This is what the colonialists did. This is what 
you know, this uh, divide and conquer has been very successful since the Romans, right? Since I think uh, that was Julius Caesar. Since Julius Caesar, this has been very, very perfect rule, what? Of ruling over masses of people, yeah? And Museven is doing it, and he's going to keep doing it, you know, until maybe we reach a brink of like genocide, maybe. I, I don't know if that will reach, but if we don't reach that place, he will keep that balance there, you know, and we'll stay divided. No one will come up with a thing that helps from Uganda's adversary. But reform, on the other hand, pushes people. And you know, I was having a conversation with one friend of mine about this uh, thing. When the first, when the Constitutional Court decided that what? The ruling, the first ruling that came out when the Constitutional Court decided that the DC in the army cannot uh, cannot be a court for, for Ugandans, you know, Ugandans did not uh, give it any power, right? Um, so I was very happy, and this guy was like, ah, you guys are just playing this war, now the election is over, it's not important. And I was like, yeah, that's fine, I agree with that, you know. this They needed to keep people in the army and torture them uh, because they wanted to get power. But now that the Constitutional Court has made it clear, Sebo won't do it another time. So if he has to do something like that another time, either he's going to come out and do stuff illegally, the way he shot uh, people in Kampala, you know, which of your status is a negative for him, uh, it, it taints him, you know, going for, because again, history doesn't forget, especially today. Today, a hundred years from now, uh, you know how, like, you can't, if you're related to Hitler, you have to change your last name. Yeah? Ten years from now, if you're related to Museveni, you have to change your you, name. Yeah, you have to change your name. You know, maybe not 10 years. 10 years too soon, right? But, if, you know, years to come, when we are old, when we are old people, that is because of, again, the history is living behind, right? It's uh, very, very short-sighted. Uh, when the thing is, when it, uh, when, 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 the way reform happens is something small happens by another, you know, it's progress like one step at a time, right? And, and you know, in this time, I mean political reform, right? Where Ugandans get a little bit more insight into how they're being governed, a little bit more decision-making, you know? For example, not before, local governments will come back, you know, things like that, slowly by slowly, you know, take away RDCs and things like that. There, there are a few things that can be done, that can be lobbied for by, uh, you know, opposition MPs, there are, there are about less than 100 opposition MPs, to pitch to Ugandans to actually realize that, hey, we are being conned, you know, this is not about Malete DMB, it's not about that. It's, there are a few things that you can, we can keep peace, you can keep your DMB and still do for Ugandans and make Ugandan what? Governance a little bit better. And that is the approach that is more feasible than a revolution. Okay, Ken, I, I get the whole point. Reforms, 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 but it's not possible. Yeah, I mean... You know why? First of all, as I've always uh, told you, that uh, we do not have the, the capacity. Capacity is the biggest issue here, all over Uganda. Because you cannot try to change a government with less than 100 people in parliament influencing policies. What needs to be done? Pitching, as you say. How are we going to pitch? As you said, 40 million people, you do not, you do not need to pitch to, to over 40 million people in the whole country. That is not the essence of politics. Once you get into politics, you, you lose your dignity. You must be able to, first of all, you draw resentment. Once you draw resentment, hatred. People at the top are always willing to eliminate you. And that is the biggest problem that we have with the Ugandan legislators. Someone cannot table a bill because he knows his family is being threatened. Look at Nabanja. How many people are coming against Nabanja? Someone no, no, went no, to no, her brothers. No, I'm just giving you. Yeah, focus on like the structure of opposition right now. Still, still, that is the whole point. I'm just giving an overview. 
someone goes to Nabanja. That is still within government. Someone goes into the village of Nabanja and tells the brother, tell your sister to what? Stay off these contracts. If that happens in the government, in the ruling government, how do you think an opposition member of parliament can react? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So here's the thing, right? So I, I, I fully agree with you, right? Uh, when it comes, this happens in the US. This happens in, I'm sure it happens in Scandinavia, right? Where people who have interests use intimidation as a form of what? Getting their policies passed. True, right? so true. This happens, and, true. you know, getting contracts and all that, getting that, doing that business. I, okay, I have a problem with that, but that is not a problem. That is not Uganda's problem, right? I don't care if, uh, say, Salim Saleh and the first family, they take all the contracts in the country. I don't care if they can actually what? Deliver, right? The problem will come in from actually delivery, right? And even if it happened, they, it means because they don't actually, they are not engineers. They have to hire Ugandans, yeah? And the thing you have to understand about being unemployed Ugandan, a Ugandan who has, say, 100 million in savings on your account, is you start to think about the bigger picture, right? So an economy alone that is good, this is the problem that Hong Kong has, right? Because Hong Kong has that separate ideology, but also has very bad people because everyone's educated and everyone is employed, right? The, 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 the thing about, uh, say, uh, one of the first members, first family members, taking all the profit, that is one thing, that is one problem that can be solved yeah. after the Ugandans who are, making, who are working for them have the opportunity now to say, you know what? We are, going to, yeah, we are going to even uh, boycott the, the thing. After the contract has been given, you know, and Ugandans have set a standard that doesn't matter who takes the contract as long as you do the work. Then all the employees say, for us, we won't work anymore because we don't agree with, you know, your political position. And this is happening in the US right now with Black Lives Matter, right? And, and you know, when we get to that place, we can start uh, making things fair. Today, our problem, is getting involved, you know, get, having being involved. What uh, inclusive politics? What I mean to speaking, right? Being involved, making sure that if a, if if uh, a, a decision is going to be made in Chania, I know, right? And usually the way you could do that is your your chairman would come and tell you, uh, today they will be digging this road, so don't don't what don't drive, yeah. But now they're not, okay. I mean the chairman are there, but. No one knows them, right? They are sort of in seven place orders, spies from seven other villages, right? But if local government is back, then I can go and tell my chairman that, hey, I don't like that. Or the chairman told me, but that is part of the what? The subcommittee. Then I mobilize people from my village. Then we go to the subcommittee and uh, the Gomboland say, we don't like this. And the Gomboland says, that's a district plan. And then we mobilize people from that subcommittee, go to the district and say, we don't like this. And this says, that's a national plan. Then we mobilize as a district and say, we don't like this. And uh, either we vote out our MPO, you know, like the way we, we would put our positions. And if we can mobilize other districts, then the, the country obviously is made of districts, right? That, uh, maybe to cut you short, uh, this, this, this has been happening all over, all over time. O organizing people in small groups to oppose a policy. But at the end of the day, the government intervention comes in. But I'll give you a typical example of uh, my home district. Yeah. I remember there were border border guys that tried to to say that they don't want an NRM MP. It it it. Uh, you know why? There are very many circumstances that led to that assumption, to that uh, conclusion. Poor service delivery, corruption, stuff like that. 
a certain part of the district was turned into a, a small part of an industrial zone. But who are the people that are taking, who are taking these contracts? There are no open tenders. District boards do not provide evidence. So these guys, what they did, they, they tried to revolt. They came up, organized themselves in small groups, and took on the government, the local government at the time. Information reached Kampala. The next day, police is being deployed. Trucks are being taken to Kumi. And everything stopped at that. So I think you get my perspective. So here's the thing, right? Uh, if I vote a right, who represents me as the leader of my village? Yes, right? yes, I get. Then we can, we because it's just a leader, we can sit as a village uh, committee and talk about issues that we don't control. True, true, right? true. It could be you don't want the northern bypass to pass another way, yeah. Uh, or to pass on this way, or whatever, you know, it could be that reason, which is something planned at the national scale, yeah, right? Yeah. So the chairman, when he goes to the chairman committee, he will say, in my village, this is what's happening, right? If that is affecting more than one village in that uh, sub-county, yeah, then those chairmen can say, okay, I think it's unanimous, we don't want this to pass in a sub-county, right? This is a bigger uh, geographical region. Yeah. Then the sub-counties can sit at, maybe, I don't know, I don't know like the hierarchy, but maybe parish, maybe district, right? They can sit at the next hierarchy and say, we don't, want, we don't want this thing to pass in the district because it has this major uh, impact that we don't, we hate, right? This is, I'm just giving a very high yeah, yeah. example, right? Uh, and this is not people standing up because they can be intimidated. It's the These leaders. are actual leaders, right? And if the chairman goes and says, you know what, guys, that has gap then you just know you don't have a vote next time, right? True. Or, you know, obviously politics, you have to do more good things than bad things if people have to have a vote for you, right? But what, again, the, the current regime did is to take that power away, right? So now we have, like, very mediocre chairman who write on things. who are basically spies of the government. You know, they, they, actually, they, they, they these people it. are not actually there, yeah. but they're just, they're just having titles. Exactly. But again, if some guy from Bobby Wine's camp or from FDC's camp went and pitched, if it is a well-thought-out policy, you know, we're very well thought out, pitchy, put it on the internet for people who are interested to read and say, this is what we think the local government should be, and this is our proposition, right? Yeah. The government would say, no, fine. And then all you do is do consultation. You delay it, obviously. You don't debate it on the first day. You delay it. While you're consultating, you're buying ads on TV, you're buying uh, ads on YouTube, you're, you know, hiring influencers to, to spread the word, all that stuff, so people know. So, you know, if it's a good thing, people came to align to it, they were like, hey, okay, this is a good idea, right? And then the government should sit down, but that is an unpopular position the government is taking. And again, obviously, whatever you say, there is no government in this world that is unpopular, fully unpopular. True, true. At some point, the government has mobilized enough popular people to keep it there, enough, you know, enough, you know, a significant amount of people to keep it there, you know. That, that is just the way things work. And the only way to, 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 to reform the government is not to revolve. Again, most of what revolutions are, for me, in my opinion, they are best, they are mostly motivated by envy. You know, we sit here, we see Saleh, the man is living the good life, and I'm like, hey, why is this man living the good life? But I'm not. True. And that sort of motivates me to what? To take on the man. Yeah. But if you're willing to stop being petty, you know, if you're if you're willing to look beyond that and be like, how can we make this Uganda better? Then you think of like different ways other than you know. Let me fight, sorry, let me fight, seven, let me fight. How do we actually create? How do you think of actual policies 
you know, what would an ideal world be? That, that, the thing Max wrote, you know, you know the, 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 the Communism Manifesto. Yeah. You know, what would an ideal world be for equal, right? And lay it down and let people, because that, I think the communism thing led to the majority of revolutions in our history. Let people debate what, what future they prefer, you know, communism or capitalism. Oh, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be those two. Here in Uganda, you know. Uh, for the case of Uganda, it's a very hard yeah, concept. Exactly, it's hard, but again, when Marx. But what I would tell people, we have to try what we have to do. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. Right now we are in Lima. Because uh, we wait for everything. To yeah, everything we're trying to do lo- looks to be taken short. Everything we're trying to make tries to be taken short because of the things that are happening in the country. You cannot tell me you're a very good medic and you're going to serve the Ugandan government, maybe in a government hospital. Most of our medics are not in the country, the best professionals. My uncle is a cardiologist, worked in Uganda, but the circumstances do not offer him the right remuneration. The rewarding system is not the best. What did he opt? He's in Australia, making tons of dollars. So, the ideal world, the real world, it's up to us to create. It's just like running a business. Say, uh, maybe you're running a trading business. Ten years down the road, you're not making a profit. What options are left with you? You either withdraw or you change line of business. That is what I would employ Ugandans to do right now at this most important. We have tried uh, small, small uprisings that failed. We have tried debating policies in parliament, we have failed. We are the unpopular people. Government is the majority. Yes. So what happens next? First of all, that means we have nothing to say. That's also the thing people ignore. We do not have a say in anything. First of all, uh, our speech is not liberalized. Everything that you try to say is being captured. My friend Wazia Muhima, Simple tweet. Mm-hmm. And government is following around. Yeah, but so all these ideologies we are trying to, to brainstorm are the perfect example of what would move forward. But I don't think they have not been debated. They have not been brought on the table. We have nothing to do. No, no I don't try. I'm not very pessimistic like that. I still think that my idea of uh, wealth or reform well thought, uh, sort of instead of a slogan here, you know, well thought policies giving Ugandans the benefit of the doubt, you know, giving them some credit uh, to know that they, they have the patience to read well thought policies. I think that that will work definitely. And uh, yeah, I think we will just uh, stop it here. We will just stop the conversation. And you will definitely be invited back. And we'll Thank you for having me, Kenneth and Mark. <laughs>